You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. And I'll encourage you to pick up a Bible. great to see a few visitors with us today. If it's your first time, welcome. I'm one of the pastors, the older one with less hair, as my kids like to remind me of. I lost my voice after last uh, Sunday, and so I've been slowly regaining it this week. So bear with me as it's a little weak. I'll encourage you to pick up a pencil too. We're going to have lots of... uh, points for you to make notes in today. We're going to start out in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 32, but we're going to be doing an overview of chapters 13 to 18, drawing a little bit out of each of those. If there's one sermon that uh, after studying um, I didn't want to preach, uh, probably the most painful one to preach, uh, is this one. Uh, Because it is a horrible, horrible thing that goes on in chapters 13 uh, to 18, the destruction of a family. And so I want to warn you, if your kids are up today, we are going to be talking about some uh, challenging uh, things. I'm going to be very tactful in uh, in what I do share. Uh, You can read the whole thing, all five of those chapters on your own, uh, but it is tragedy to see what this family does to each other. This sermon's going to be uh, split into three parts. The first part, we're going to look at what David was sowing into the field of his life, we could say, um, over the decades leading up to this moment. Uh, Then the part two is we're going to look at what he reaps from that, from what he's sown into his life. And then the third part is uh, what we can be sowing into our lives now so that we will hopefully reap a better harvest later in our lives especially when it comes to parenting and grandparenting. Let's read 2 Samuel chapter 18, verses 32 and 33 together. The king asked the Cushite, Is the young man Absalom all right? The Cushite replied, I wish that the enemies of my lord, the king, along with all who rises up against you with evil intent, would become like the young man. The king was deeply moved and went into the chamber above the city gate and wept. As he walked, he cried, My son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Absalom, my son, my son. Let's pray. Lord, Parenting is one of the greatest gifts that you give us on this earth and can bring so much joy to our lives. See our little children and the the smiles on their faces, to hear their laughter, to feel their hugs. But it's also one of the hardest things you've given us on this earth to do. And sometimes it doesn't always work out the way we had hoped and desired. I pray for us today as we look at 
a man that did so much right in his life and yet he failed so big in this area. I pray that we can learn from his mistakes and that we uh, can choose whether our, our children are young now or we haven't had children or they're, they're grown up, maybe we have grandkids or maybe it's just the kids in the church that we can learn to influence them well. And God, we just pray uh, that for any in here who have made huge mistakes in parenting, that they would also know there is forgiveness and there is hope through you that you can turn back even the hardest of hearts as you did mine and bring good things. Help us to just live how you ask us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, like I said, there are so many wonderful things that parenting can bring in our lives. Kids are awesome. They'll stretch us in ways we've never been stretched, and they'll also bring joy to our lives in, in ways that nobody else can. But there's also trouble. Jesus said we'll have trouble on this earth, and unfortunately, uh, more than financial trouble, uh, more than work troubles, or more than even our own health uh, troubles, family trouble is some of the most painful troubles we can have. It's one of the worst experiences uh, to watch your family uh, go through hard times. I could say there's uh, two types of family trouble. Uh, there's trouble that comes from the outside, the external, uh, that affects your family. It's horrible and it's hard to see uh, things attacking your uh, children, your spouse from the outside, but often uh, those external conflicts, those external troubles bring a family together. Uh, often it will solidify and strengthen a family and pull them close to each other and to God. The other kind of trouble, the one that is often more painful, is trouble from within a family between family members themselves. I'm talking immediate family. Problems from within, between parents and children. Now, sometimes it's the parent. Uh, it's the parent's sin. It's their, the parent's neglect. It's, it's their unreasonable pressures that they put on their children or their abuse or, or their unforgiveness uh, for their children's failures or their hardness of heart or their uncontrolled anger, or their foolish decisions, or their hypocrisy, or their lack of humility, etc., so on. Uh, we parents are flawed, we're sinful. Um, but when we are habitually caught in our sin and are unrepented, uh, that can cause great damage to our children. Sometimes it's the children. Sometimes a child will, and again, children are all sinners. Uh, they will all make mistakes. They will all rebel. But sometimes a child can decide in their heart, I'm going to rebel against the authority of my parents and do what I desire and go against God. And that is extremely painful. So before I go any further, I just want to remind everyone uh, that, that even if your children have rebelled and even if they have rejected God, there's still hope. Even if you failed and you can look back in your life and say, oh, I would have done things so differently. There is forgiveness. And God forgives you if you've come to that place of repentance. And there is always hope. My mom could say that uh, when I was in my teens, she would have looked on me and said, oh, I don't know if, where he's going to end up. I don't know if he's even going to be alive or he's going to be in prison. Um, 
but God worked. And so don't give up hope. But unfortunately, the tragedy that we see play out in these chapters with David's children, uh, a lot of it can be traced back to David's example and his poor parenting. His lack of interest in his children Now, I know they had a choice. They always have a choice. Our children always have a choice. We can do everything right, and our children children may still choose to reject us and reject God. That's just a part. But much of what we see play out uh, is because of David's example. And there are consequences. You know, one of the things that we have a poor understanding of here in North America, a poor theology, um, is our understanding of grace and consequences. Often we can think that um, if we receive God's grace uh, for our uh, mistakes, for our sins, that there's going to be no consequences, that God will like, as he wipes away our sin and he no longer looks at us as sinful, he'll just take care of all the consequences from our poor decisions. Sometimes he does but often he allows us to feel them. There are always going to be consequences, but sometimes we can read a verse like uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we can say, oh, God, well, God must, he's just going to take care of everything wrong and, and there isn't going to be any outcome from those things that I've done in the past. And if we remember at the end of last sermon, uh, David had, uh, in chapter 12, he had confessed his sins. Uh, He had repented of them. And God said, I'm not going to strike you dead. I'm not going to take your soul. I'm going to give you forgiveness. But there's going to be consequences for what you've done. He was a man after God's own heart. He was the king. He was a reflection uh, to the people of God. And so uh, God just couldn't allow him uh, to just get away with all he had done. For Jesus reminds us in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, for everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted much, even more will be expected. Uh, David knew what was right, uh, but he decided to do what was not right, and he will pay a price for that, even though he's forgiven. And if, if there's one kind of verse, we're going to look at a lot of uh, verses today, but if there's one kind of key verse I want you to walk away from, uh, understanding it's Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Paul reminds us, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from his flesh but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. I know we can think of a farmer. The farmer who uh, is diligent and goes about in the spring preparing the soil of his land, um, fertilizing it, uh, cultivating it, planting good, healthy seed, weeding it uh, throughout its growing season is more likely, more likely, uh, to produce good crops, to reap a good harvest. It's, it's not a given, uh, but his chances go way up. Uh, the farmer who neglects to prepare the field, uh, who, who doesn't fertilize it, who, who just uh, throws in cheap seed that he buys wherever at a discounted price, uh, who doesn't weed it, is more likely to reap a bad harvest. That's, that's just 
the honest truth of farming. And so Paul is warning us, New Testament Christians, he's, he's not talking to the Old Testament Christians, New Testament, he's affirming what we learn uh, throughout David's life, uh, that don't deceive yourself, he says, don't kid yourselves, don't live delusional. Uh, what you put into the field of your life, you're eventually going to pull out. And so if you're, if you're planting stuff that is, that is strictly on how you feel and, and what your flesh desires, you're most likely going to get something you don't like out of that. Uh, but if you're planting uh, good things in your life according to what the Holy Spirit who lives in you says is good, you're more likely to reap something good. But we have to accept that reality. As much as we don't like it and in North America want to forget it, what happens, happens. You know, last year, right at this time, I hobbled up here, some of you remember, if you were coming here, with a broken ankle. I hadn't gone to the, uh, the doctor yet uh, to get x-rays, and I was hoping it was uh, not broken, uh, but it was swollen, like, way larger than it should be. And I was stubborn. Um, and if you remember, I told you that um, at jiu-jitsu, I was in a match, he was a guy much better than me, uh, and he locked me in a way uh, that I thought I could escape from, but I knew better, because I wrestled in high school, that, that I should not turn my body as he was falling on me the way that I was, but I thought I could maybe escape. Big mistake. And so my ankle was locked in between his legs as my body turned with all my might as I tried to get out of it, and bam, the ankle snapped. And you know, as much as I regretted that stupid decision, nothing was going to change the fact that my ankle was broken. And the only thing that was going to fix it was surgery, plates, healing, time. And the reality is, is that for some of our decisions, there are consequences. And the only thing that will heal it is God doing surgery on our hearts time consistently following God's ways and planting in our lives good things. But even that, I'm most likely going to have arthritis, they tell me, in my ankle. There are consequences. And David has been uh, sowing into his life for years, for decades, some not good things. There's five things. You can write these down if you've got a uh, pencil. Uh, number one, David, and, and most of this is review from uh, just reminding us if you've been following on along in the series. Uh, David's taken way too many wives. So he's sown in his life. God said, don't take on a bunch of wives. Uh, stick with one wife. That's my plan. Uh, he, he told the king, don't do it, but he did it anyways. So he's, he's sown into his uh, life uh, too many wives. Number two, he's had way too many kids to look after. Uh, way too many kids, uh, because more isn't always better. And God will hold us responsible for each child we bring into the world. He holds us responsible to care for them, to nurture them, to discipline them. Uh, each of those children uh, has been created and is our responsibility. And we shouldn't have false expectations that we just have a bunch of kids, God will work it out. That's a delusion. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. David's job was to love each of those kids, but he didn't really do that. And so we should only have as many kids as we can take care of properly. Number three, David neglected his kids. 
Uh, the only thing that David really seemed to do for his kids was provide a, a really fancy lifestyle. Besides that, they were kind of like an afterthought in his life. Number four, David was a poor example. As we've seen, he let these things uh, get into his life, uh, his lust and his out-of-control uh, desire for women, uh, obviously. Uh, these things were a really poor example, and we're going to see that his sons actually mimic his lifestyle. And number five, he uh, planted a horrible uh, sin in his life uh, by rejecting God by lying, uh, by committing adultery, and by committing murder. And so we can't be delusional and think that if we just spout off some good Bible verses, our kids will just turn out all right. They're watching. They're seeing. Are we really uh, saying, living what we believe? So that's, that's what he'd been sowing into his life for the decades leading up to this point in his life. So, so now what is he going to reap? We can write these down, especially if you're a parent or a grandparent. Uh, number one, David reaps death. David reaps death. God, uh, David took life and God will take the life of his baby. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 15. The Lord struck the baby that Uriah's wife had bore to David. And he became deathly ill. David pleaded with God for the boy. He fasted and went home. He spent the night lying on the ground. The elders of the house of his house stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat anything with them. On the seventh day, the baby died. David's servants were afraid to tell the baby, tell him that the baby had died. They said, "Look, while the baby was alive." We spoke to him, and he wouldn't listen to us. So how can we tell him that the baby has died? He may do something desperate. When David saw that his servants were whispering about him, he guessed what they, that the baby was dead. So he asked the servants, is the baby dead? He is dead, they replied. He answered, well, the baby was alive. I fasted and wept because I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let me live and let him live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to be with him, but he will never return to me. Then David confront, uh, comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went with her and slept with her. She gave him a son, and they named him Solomon. If I'm honest with you, I struggle with God's response. I don't think any of us shouldn't be uh, struggle with this that God would take the baby. The only things that I take comfort in and find solution uh, in this is knowing that God is the ultimate authority. <clears throat> that although I don't agree with it, I submit knowing that God knows better than me and that that baby is with God. And that should comfort us knowing that any baby that dies, any child that dies, uh, goes to be with God. God, that's what David said. I can't go to him, or he can't come to me, but I'm going to someday go to be with him. And we may be, uh, you know, tempted to say, oh, I want nothing to do with God. Um, and yet, isn't it easy, isn't it uh, interesting how we ignore the fact that last year in our country, there was 83 billion, or sorry, 83,000 children in 2022 killed. 
with encouragement from the government and how we don't really get upset about that. Number two, David reaps, reaps a son with uncontrolled lust, just like him. He had his oldest son, his name was Abnon. And David allowed himself to be controlled by this addiction. We saw that by lust, women, women, I gotta have more women, never satisfied uh, with what I have, I always need more, until the lust grew into something that said, I can even have what God says I can't have, another woman's wife, it'll be all right. And so his oldest son, uh, who was a man when this adultery went on. He would have seen this. He was the eldest son. He would have was the one who was supposed to become king, would have watched all this play out, would have watched his father uh, have uh, this constant desire and lust for new women and then take another man's wife, have that man killed, and then marry that woman. He saw it happen. And so this young man uh, seemed to have the same sort of addiction until it grew into the desire that was unhealthy for something that God had told him not to have, his half-sister, Tamar. Second Samuel chapter 13, verse 1 says, Some time passed, and David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar. David's son Abnon was infatuated with her. Abnon was frustrated to the point of making himself sick over his sister Tamar because she was a virgin, but it seemed impossible to do anything to her. I won't read what plays out. But David had developed this view that women were a possession to him, to be treated however he desired, and so his son developed the same mindset. Our children often will get hooked on the same things that we so easily get hooked on. And if we're not fighting them and showing our children we're actively fighting against those things and being honest about our struggles with our children as they grow and and as it's appropriate, then they often do what we do. And so Dave says David had lied, conspired, so his son will lie to David and conspire in order to get what that lust tells him to get. And just as David violated another man's wife, uh, Amnon will violate his half-sister and then throw her away as if she is insignificant. And I encourage you to read these chapters on your own um, because it is disturbing. And you can see that David, he's such a moron. He doesn't know his children's hearts. Like he really doesn't know his children because they're just something for him. They're a trophy for him. More children, the better. Wrong. And every child, just as, just as God, desi- God our Father desires us to know his heart and, and he wants to know our hearts, he does know our hearts, so every child desires for their parents to know their heart. That takes relationship, that takes commitment, that takes time to know their gifts, to know their struggles, to know their temptations, uh, to be uh, a part of their whole life, to really know them. That is what they desire, and that is what we are called to do, to know our children. And Solomon will develop the same habits, the same addiction that David had and Abnon had, And that will be his destruction. Like you can see it throughout the family because no one addresses it. It follows 
throughout the family. Third thing David reaps is resentful sons. 2 Samuel 13, verse 21. When King David heard about all these things, okay, so uh, Amnon has done and violated his sister, he was furious. Absalom didn't say anything to Amnon, neither good nor bad, because he hated Amnon since he had disgraced his sister Tamar. It's the king's job to do something. It's the father's job to do something, to discipline this out-of-control son but he doesn't do anything. And because he doesn't do anything, resentment grows. David is deceived into thinking what a lot of fathers think. Oh, my job is to just provide for them. Just provide and it'll all take care of itself. It's it's the wife's job, the mother's job to do all the raising. Wrong, fathers. And some women think that too. I ran out, my husband's useless and and he just really needs to stay out of the way. I'll do all it. Wrong, ladies. That is not the way God desires us to raise our children. David thought, I'll just provide them this luxurious lifestyle, which they all had. I'll spoil them. That doesn't do anything. And we we see around the, the most spoiled, rich, prosperous generation of children ever How are they turning out? Many not well. I printed off that uh, handout that each family should have got. And this is easy information to get. This is not rocket science. The references are there. I'll just read a few of them. It, It talks about the importance. Statistically speaking, you can argue, you can debate, you can feminize things and say, oh, men are useless. Wrong. The stats say otherwise. 90%, here's a few of them, 90% of runaway and homeless children are from fatherless homes, the National Institute of Justice. 71% of all high school dropouts, are. this is U.S. information, are from fatherless households, center of... Uh, of education statistics. The percentage of adolescents in substance abuse treatment facilities who are from fatherless homes are 75%. The facts are in. Fathers play a significant, a vital role in their children's outcome. A father who's just either not there or, or he's there, but he's not really there, does the child so much damage. But a child who is there intentional, building relationship, teaching, discipling, can do so much good for that child. I remember sitting with a young man uh, at the church that I went to that I interned at when I was in school. And uh, this son's dad was the, the leader of one of the denominations. Like, so he was, a, he was pretty up there. And yet, He was into drugs and and all sorts of things. And so the mom who went to the church um, asked me to to meet with him because she knew my background. And so I met with him and I said, tell me about your relationship with your father. I hate him. I hate him. He always put work before us. He always just say things to us. He was never there. It's always off somewhere in some part of the world or some part of the country. Let that never be said of us. Number four, David reaps deceptive sons. 
David reaps deceptive sons. 2 Samuel 13, verses 24 to 27. Two years later, so David's done nothing for two years since this happened. Absalom's sheep shearers were in Balhazor near Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. When he went to the king and said, your servant has just hired sheep shearers. Will your king and his servants please come with your servant? The king replied to Absalom, No, my son, we should not all go or we would be a burden on you. Although Absalom urged him, he wasn't willing to go, though he did bless him. If not, Absalom says, Please let your brother, my brother Amnon, go with us. The king asked him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom urged him. So he went with Amnon and all the king's son. When I was studying this, I was like, what I was reading about what the commentators mean by urged him. He, 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 uh, he whined him, dad, come on. Oh, come on, dad, it'll be fine. Dad, 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 just come on, dad, 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 dad. You know, that manipulation. See, maybe you've never had kids who have manipulated you, but I certainly have been worked over by my kids a few times. That's what he does. Uh, See, because there was nothing done by David for two years to address this horrible thing that had been done. Absalom is resentful towards his dad, and so he becomes deceptive like his dad. Remember all the deception that his dad carried out uh, when he had committed adultery? He mimics him. So he deceives his dad. And he's like, oh, dad, I want you to come celebrate. We're, we're shearing the sheep. It'll be great. And, and dad, of course, doesn't come because dad, he knows dad isn't going to come because dad never goes anywhere the kids go. Dad's always too busy to show up to sports. Dad's always got another project on. Dad's got to watch TV when he gets home. Dad's always playing his video games. And so he deceives them. Oh, just let my brother come. David, are you dumb? He's, in, he's asking uh, to bring the brother that violated his sister, David. He's deceived. And so Absalom murders Hamnon at this event. And the thing about deception, I used to live a life of deception, is that I know it's easier to lie. We could all probably admit that it is much easier to lie but yet, when, when we lie, when we deceive, it becomes a way of life. It can become a part of us. So much so that eventually, I've sat with people, and they don't even know the difference between what is lie and what is truth. Number five, David reaps emotionally broken children. Two places we see two people that are emotionally broken after this. Second Samuel thirteen twenty. So Tamar lived as a desolate, a desolate woman in the house of her brother Absalom. David never came that we can see to uh, be to can to comfort his daughter who had been violated. He never brings justice. He never brings discipline, and she is just left as a broken-hearted young woman. So tragic, and then. 14, uh, verse 27 and 28. Three sons were born to Absalom and a daughter named Tamar who was beautiful. So this is the brother of Tamar who was beautiful. Absalom resided in Jerusalem for two years but never saw the king. Look, verse 32, Absalom explained to Joab, I sent for you and said, come here. I want you to send, I want to send you to the king and ask him, why have 
I come back from Geshur. It'd be better off if I was to stay there. So now let me see the king. If I am guilty, let him kill me. So the whole thing plays out is after Absalom kills Amnon, he runs and stays in uh, with the, his grandparents. Um, and some years go by and, and he's allowed to come back, but David still won't see him. And so he lives for two years. He's raising a family in Jerusalem, yet his dad keeps rejecting him. His dad won't forgive him. His dad won't address his lack of discipline in Abnon. Like the whole thing is just an absolute travesty. He just wants his dad to be there. Just wants his dad to say, I forgive you. Just wants his dad to do something. And again, every child wants to see that we really care that we really love them, that we will forgive them, that we will comfort them when they are brokenhearted, that we will confront them when they are out of control. That's why Paul says, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training, the instruction of the Lord. If you've got things festering with your children, whether they're adult children or still children, unresolved things, you need to address them now before it's too late. Number six, David reaps a rebellious son. Second Samuel 15. So, so David hasn't addressed things and now his son is really angry. Verse 10, then Absalom sent agents throughout the tribes of Israel with this message. When you hear the sound of the ram's horn and you, you are to say, Absalom has become king in Hebron. And 200 men from Jerusalem went with Absalom. Skip down to verse 13. Then an informer came to David and reported, the hearts of your men of Israel are with Absalom. And David said to his servants in Jerusalem, get up and flee, or we will not escape Absalom. Wow. The mighty warrior is now running from his children. Kids will rebel. If we've had kids, we know this. They will buck against our authority to varying degrees. And it is our job as parents not to allow them to get away with it because what they learn now, they will just carry on into adulthood. And so it's with love that we bring them, loving discipline back into the sphere in which they are to live. And we are teaching them. But sometimes if we don't discipline them, if we don't meet them with loving discipline, they will become out of control rebellious children. That is what is happening here. See, Absalom no longer saw in his father an authority worth respecting. And so he rebelled against that. And David, who has never addressed his children, never disciplined them, is afraid of his children. And sometimes I meet parents who are afraid to discipline their children. I don't want to upset him. I don't want to upset her. She's sensitive. All right. But if you don't lovingly discipline that child, they will think they rule the world and it'll be a lot harder for them later in life. Number seven, David reaps losing his wives. Second Samuel 16, verse 22. And so they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and he slept with David's father's concubines in the sight of Israel. How horrible and evil. What started with David seeing another man's wife on a rooftop, now his son will carry on on the rooftop overlooking Israel. It's tragic. Number eight, David reaps a broken heart. Second Samuel 18, verse 33. The king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber above the city gate and wept. This is after Absalom has been killed in the battle. 
And as he walked, he cried, my son, Absalom, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you, Absalom, my son, my son. Take heed, parents. See this. Some of you know this, the tragedy of watching your children destroy their lives. But you who haven't had your children grow up yet, take a good look at this. This is not where you want to be. Now is the time to be involved. And so just quickly in in closing, some things that we can plant in our lives now. We saw what David was planting and what he reaped. Now what are things we can plant? Whether your children are kids now or they're adults, you can still be planting good things in your relationship. Or whether you're grandparents and you're, you're planting in your grandchildren's lives or great-grandchildren's lives or just kids in your life that you are involved with, here's some things. Number one, offer yourselves to God. That's the best thing you can do. Romans 6, verse 12 to 13. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its desires. Do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who live alive from the dead. Offer yourselves to God and all parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. See, what you feed will grow, and what grows will become dominant. And what becomes dominant will be evident to everyone. Get what I'm saying? So if you feed, if you offer yourself to God, God is going to feed good things into you. And that's going to grow in you. If, you. if you just give in to your desires and your flesh all the time, that's going to grow. And, and it will eventually rule you. Either the spirit will rule you or the flesh will rule you. And everyone can see what rules you. So offer yourself to God. Number two, teach them. Teach your children, your grandchildren, kids around you, kids in the church. Deuteronomy chapter four, verse nine. Watch out, be careful. Never forget what you yourselves have seen. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live and be sure to pass them along to your children and your grandchildren all through your life. Teach them. Share the experience you've had. you've, You've lived so much life. Share it with them. Teach them about the good things and the bad things, the consequences, your mistakes, your failures, your successes. Teach them what God says is right and good. But that goes along with number three, build relationships with them. All knowledge with no relationship or all rules with no relationship isn't going to work. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 to 9. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words I'm giving to you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit down in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. This is, this is talking about somebody whose life is, is involved with the children through all phases of life. You're not just gone in the morning and you get back as they go to sleep and see ya, I'm going to watch TV. No, you're, you're talking, you're, you're involved in a living relationship with those children. Number four, be an example to them. An example worth looking up to. As, as you follow Christ, Jesus says, for I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. You're to copy Jesus. If you're a Christian, if you say, I'm a Christian, that word isn't a cultural thing. 
It means you follow Jesus and you're a mini Jesus. You're, you're following in his example. And when you follow his example, your kids are going to look and say, well, I want to be like mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or that person in the church. Number five, walk humbly. Walk humbly. Micah 6, verse 8. Mankind, he has told you what is good and what the Lord requires of you to act justly, love faithful, listenly, and walk humbly before your God. To walk in humility means you can own your mistakes. You can be honest about where you're weak. You can apologize to your child when you lose it. Uh, There's so many times I've had to be honest and go in front of my family and say, I'm sorry I lost my temper. I was wrong. You were right. You know, just as we need to discipline them, we need to walk in humility and show them that, ah, mom or dad doesn't think they're perfect. They're just like me. And they're more likely to be honest. And number six, remember that you can't save your children. You can choose to follow Jesus. Just like Joshua in uh, chapter 24, verse 15 said, uh, but if it, doesn't, if it doesn't please you, to worship the Lord, choose yourselves today, which you will worship, the gods of your ancestors that they worship beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Ammonites in whose land you are living. But as for me and for my family, we're going to worship the Lord. Again, you can choose, but you can't make your children choose. You can do everything you can to show them, to love them, that Jesus is worth it. But in the end... You have to allow that they are adults and they will choose. And if you've done everything you can, then you can go before God and say, I've done everything that I can and give it over to God and let him deal with the rest. I'm going to be up here and um, some of the elders are going to be up here. And then there'll be a woman up here too. And if you need prayer uh, for your parenting, Uh, for your children, then we want you to come up and we want to pray for you. Or you can just ask the person next to you uh, to pray for you in your parenting and your grandparenting. And give those children over to God because it is never too late. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time. And Lord, this is a tragedy to see what we've seen in in this man of God that uh, so many of us looked up to. Lord, let us not waste what we've read and seen, but let us wholeheartedly uh, give ourselves to you. Help us to. Lord, some of us really struggle with being honest about our uh, failures. Um, we, we're so hard on our children, and, and yet we're not honest with ourselves. God, help us to just be authentic followers of Jesus. Help our children to see uh, you to know that we aren't you, that you're perfect and, and we will fail them. God, we pray for our children, uh, the little children that are downstairs, Lord, we pray for them, that they would just determine to follow you and, and not make the mistakes that many of us have made. Lord, we pray for our adult children, uh, the ones who are following you, God, just be with them. Uh, the ones who are not following them, you, Lord, we pray you would turn their hearts to you. We Thank you for this time of honesty. Um, And we just look to you and thank you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for coming and I will see you next week unless I'll see you in a couple hours as we go for a swim. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, 
visit calvarygravenhurst.com.